0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor and joining me is Neil Hughes. Victor, how's it going? I am great. And this is an interesting week. Now, I am so glad you're back. I I want to say for everyone who is concerned that... I, I don't put Neil in a box I don't put Neil in a cage <laughs> i I don't prevent Neil from coming on the show Neil is a very busy person when when the end of Indiana Jones talks about who's in charge who's taking care of the lost Ark and the answer is top men Neil Hughes is one of the top men <laughs> his life is a mystery all we know is that he's busy that's
0: that's one way of putting it. <laughs>
1: um, Equally, I want to address an iTunes comment that we had. We had an iTunes review that talked about how uh, they're never quite sure what role I play here. Am I, am I the, the interviewer and I'm supposed to only ask questions or am I also one of the participants in the chat and should I be speaking? Um, of course, the preference was, was that I should never speak. <laughs> um, Neil, what do you think about that? What, what should my role be here?
0: Uh, I I think that you're the host of the podcast, but I think that you're also entitled to your opinions.
1: Okay, great. Well, let's go with it. Uh, let's not take any more time on this, but I want you to know and understand that that we read every piece of listener mail we get and we really value it. We take it to heart. And so when you leave a comment like that, we think about it and we try and consider what we're going to do differently to try and make it more listenable for you. We appreciate it. Yeah, and I along mean,
0: – Along that same note, uh, to all the people that uh, reached out to me via email and, and Twitter uh, for being on last week's episode, I, I do appreciate
1: it. You're all very kind and, and thank you for the kind words. We need to do this more often. So first up, you published our review of the iPhone. I did. Tell me about it.
0: <clears throat> so, you know, I uh, I, I mean, l- l- let's be real. The iPhone XS is not a huge upgrade from the iPhone X. Uh, If you've been using the iPhone X for the last year, and you're paying out of pocket, uh, and you're not on the iPhone upgrade plan, um, it's probably not worth the update for you. But if you were on any other phone... Uh, then you're going to be blown away by this. Like a a friend of mine the other day, he for some reason last year opted for the 8 Plus instead of the 10. Um, I I think he like ordered too late and the 10 wasn't coming for a while. And then he decided, well, I just want a phone now. And like he was like, I feel like I've been an idiot for the last year using this other phone because like he was just blown away by how easy uh, Face ID is, how, how reliable it is that it works. Um, and so, you know, as I was writing the review, I like to pe- keep people like that in mind because I feel like the jaded tech nerds of us will be like, Ooh, it looks the same. Ooh, this is, you know, it, it, it does, it's just a little bit faster kind of stuff. And it's important to keep in mind that, you know, that first of all, is not everybody buying the phone. And second of all, this phone does have some significant pr- improvements year over year, but the biggest one really is the camera. Uh, the camera takes much, much, much better low-light photos immediately. um, I saw the difference uh, in taking pictures. Um, And for myself, I I go to a lot of events, I go to a lot of concerts, and I sometimes take photos at them. So I'm very pleased with that. Um, Some people may not care. But for me, I, I think it's fantastic. And some of the other changes, like the ability to adjust the focal point or the background blur or whatever in, uh, uh, in portrait after you take it. Um, and uh, there's better uh, stereo audio now, which I don't know why there wasn't before, but there's stereo audio recording when you do a video. Um, and, and little things like that that add up that really make this camera uh, heads and shoulders above the one from last year. Now, beyond that, you know, you have the... A12 Bionic chip and and all this other stuff and yeah, it makes AR better and, you know, you and I have talked before about AR and And how I think it's really kind of a gimmick on the iPhone, but laying the groundwork for a presumed headset or something like that, that's made faster by the chip. But really, the the chip is even doing a lot of this processing for the camera. So one of the features is smart HDR, which is why you're getting uh, these better colors and and better contrast, especially when you're taking photos at night. And what that's doing is it's taking, thanks to the bionic chip, it's taking a series of photos at once, uh, just a fraction of a second apart from each other and then making a composite of them to get the colors better, brighter, more accurate, having better balance in the photo and not having these like blown out spots or in the case of taking a photo in the dark, having, you know, a few lights blow out the, the image that you're actually trying to focus on. So, you know, I, I gave the iPhone 10s a very positive review. Um, I, I love that it has the same camera and same capabilities as the 10 Plus 10s Plus Max or whatever you call it, 10s Max. <laughs> I can't even get these names right. They're, it's the yeah. worst names they. I think they've ever had in a product. Uh, but yeah, you know, it used to be that you had to get the Plus model to get the dual camera or the telephoto lens and all that. Uh, but this year, thankfully, they kept the same features in the small phone as are in the Max phone. And I think that's a great step in the right direction. Uh, I don't think that you should be penalized for wanting to have a more manageable, smaller phone. Uh, in many ways, it's more difficult to cram those components into a smaller device. You know, when you have a larger device, you can put in a bigger battery. You can you have more room to work with. So I came away very happy with this phone. I realize it's not going to be for a lot of our more hardcore readers who already own a 10 or something like that. But I think if you're on the iPhone upgrade op- upgrade program or if you are uh, somebody who owns an older phone, you're going to be super happy with this upgrade.
1: You know, it's interesting because I I try and stay in touch with people who are not our listener, people who are less... Technologically knowledgeable. People who sure. are you know, our our listener, our listeners are technologically knowledgeable, they're interested, they have a high acuity acuity for picking up this stuff, and and they're handsome to boot. <laughs> our our listeners are some of the best dressed listeners available in the world, I know. And so I, I try and talk to people who aren't. And things that I found were people that wanted to stay with the iPhone 8 or the 8 Plus because it had the bigger screen size. Than the ten, if you move right. with the plus model. That there was some fear around face ID. And yes. even now, even now that the whole line has shifted to pretty much reflect face ID. You know, you can still get an eight or a seven. But there's still some fear around face ID. Fear of giving up a home button. All of these gestures just seem confusing to people who don't have a, a chance to pick them up or, or get used to them. Yeah, you know, they've had a home button for ten years. They know that pressing the home button does one thing.
0: It's it's hilarious because if you use an iPhone X for a couple days and then try to go back to a regular iPhone, you'll find yourself swiping from the bottom of the screen. It's like it's like if you have an iPad and a Mac side-by-side side and you're using them both and you're touching on the iPad and then you go over to the Mac and you find yourself touching the, the Mac screen, it's like, oh, no, I can't do that. It's one of those things that's just like it's just natural. It works and it replaces your habits that you've had for so long so quickly.
1: And that's, that's interesting because that actually dovetails nicely with another discussion that I want to have, but I want to have it in a moment because okay. – the the other thing that I want to talk about briefly is betas. Just because you know most of us got off of the beta program as soon as the iPhone OS, iOS twelve was announced, there are still betas coming, and the betas in twelve point one, the features in twelve point one that are, are at least noteworthy for I think most of us are group FaceTime chats, group FaceTime right. calling, and the eSIM functionality beginning to show up. No, we, yeah. we we had a report where the uh, 10S eSIM began working for some German owners using the 12.1 beta. Clearly, one of the things that, that's going to have to sort of catch up is carrier support for it. Because I think their whole plan was that you'd go up to a carrier, you'd agree to purchase the the plan, and they'd show a QR code. You'd photograph it with your camera, and that would do the settings for eSIM for you. Right. Um, obviously, that kind of thing's not in place yet. But... That that the uh, functionality is live in the beta is a good indicator that we're progressing towards that.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that you know it would make sense to launch that and probably you know watch OS 5.1 that has the EKG functionality. Unfortunately, Apple in the last few years has announced stuff or added hardware features that aren't available at launch. Uh, Portrait mode was another example of that. Um, so, you know, I, and when the AirPods launched, you couldn't customize what the taps did, that sort of stuff. So I think that, um, you know, it's been an unfortunate trend with Apple where they announce stuff and it takes a little while for it to come, but you know, patience is a virtue.
1: And there's a mix of this, right? So years and years and years ago, they used to participate in a show called Macworld that was run by IDG. And the problem with going to a show like Macworld and being a big, uh, exhibitor there, as Apple was, is that you're tied to their schedule of the shows for your product releases. Otherwise, right. you show up and you have nothing to announce, which also doesn't go over well. And they they stopped participating in those shows after the announcement of the original iPhone. And that let them announce things at their own schedule. You know, they'd send out an invitation, say, one week, come to California, and people would come. The problem with the phone is that with the phone, they are still very much tied to people's schedules. They're tied to the schedules for carriers. They're tied to the schedules for when people's contracts are up or subsidies are renewed kind of thing. Right. They, they very much don't have a lot of liberty to announce whenever they please like they do with other devices like a HomePod or an iPad. Right. So it's it's a little bit more understandable that – features might develop after the fact for the phone.
0: Yeah, I get it. I mean, it, it, the EKG one for the watch makes sense too because presumably they have to get, you know, a FDA approval for it and in order to do that, they have to go through a process that would make the watch public. So they get like a preliminary approval where they can keep it under wraps, they announce it, then they go through the approval process and then they bring it to market like a month later or something like that. Something like that I get. Um, but some of these other ones, it's like uh, it's like it's a little frustrating that they can't get stuff out the door on time. You know, a group FaceTime calling announced back in June. Um, and here it is after the release of iOS 12 and we still don't
1: have it. And, and I'm a little more understanding of, of things like the Apple Watch, although a month late is not a big deal. A year late is kind no. of a big deal.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I don't even get started on the Air power Met. I'm sorry, my hair just caught fire. What did you say? <laughs> that, that is one of the <laughs> one of the most embarrassing things that they've ever done as a company. Really, I I am dying to know the real story of what happened behind the scenes because there's a lot of rumors and stuff. And uh, you know, I I'm waiting to get a new pair of AirPods uh, with Siri support and you know the wireless charging case and all that. But presumably those are just sitting waiting to be manufactured because they can't get air power out the door. So it's pretty embarrassing.
1: Well, what they don't want to have happen is for you to go and buy three $10 charging pads and to have your your phone on one and your, um, your watch on another and your AirPods on a third and have three different cables to power these three different charging pads because that would be fantastically awful.
0: <laughs> I saw that uh, Nomad announced a dual charging pad the other day, a rather nice-looking one. It was like a leather – pad with with two charging coils in it okay i don't know if it was watch compatible though
1: and that's an interesting thing because you and i were talking about this over the summer a little bit i i was trying to charge my daughter's apple watch with a a chi charging pad and i couldn't get it to work and and we've sort of heard mixed reports right
0: yeah th- th- it works with some I, I don't know how or why they did that with the watch it's very odd um, but yeah, this one from uh, Nomad is uh, USB-C power delivery in two charging pads, and then it has a 7.5 amp out USB port that
1: you could you know charge an iPad with or whatever. Wild. I know you like that because it's got USB-C on it.
0: Yes, I, I'm trying to buy only USB-C things now. I, I traveled uh, uh, last month to Banff and. Um, I like to just plug one thing into the wall and usually that's just my Mac because I already have it there and I want it to charge. And so I love the new MacBook Pro because I have four USB-C ports on it. So I can use one to charge from the wall and then three others to charge my stuff. My iPhone, my iPad, I have a USB-C to lightning cable. It's fine. It's easy. No dongles, nothing. The only one I have to get a freaking dongle for is the watch. There is
1: no USB-C to Apple Watch charger. They don't make it. And uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. No kidding. You know, and you're not alone in this. When I was at CES, I was uh, traveling there with a fella who works for a uh, uh, an investment fund, and he and I would go around to booths and and check out the devices and check out the gadgets. And every single one, he said, "What port has it got?" And they'd say, "Oh, it's it's micro." He'd go, "Nope, sorry. Looking for USB-C. Only USB-C." And they said, "But are you sure? Are you kidding? No one else is doing it." It's like, that's the future. Get on board.
0: Yep. Yeah, I want I want everything USB-C. I'm I'm done with regular USB. I don't mind Lightning. Lightning's fine. I'm, I'm happy to stick with Lightning. But if it's if it's another port on another device, USB C.
1: Yeah, but the the contradiction here is that it's a long transition to get rid of all of the USB ports, USB A ports that are in sure. cars that are in in wall warts, that are in all kinds of things. Right. This is this is not just a flip the switch kind of transition.
0: Totally. Yeah, I get that. I agree with that. I, I just I want options as a consumer, as somebody who's willing to pay. You know, $15 to get a USB-C to lightning cable or a USB-C to micro-USB cable or whatever. Just give me the options. Give me give me a wall
1: charger with four USB-C ports. All right. That's actually an interesting idea. That's going to be a whopping big transformer.
0: <laughs> they don't have, all have to be USB power delivery. All they need to be is enough to charge a phone or a tablet. It's not for recharging your Mac.
1: All right. This episode is brought to you by Jamf Now. Jamf Now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your Apple devices. It's easy to keep track of your own Mac, iPad, or iPhone, but what about other Apple devices at work? As a business grows, so does its digital inventory, making it harder to manage everyone's Apple devices. And this is especially true if employees are remote. With Jamf Now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device as needed from anywhere. JAMF now manages devices. So you can focus on your business instead. No IT experience needed. And now Apple Insider Podcast listeners can start securing your business today by setting up your first three devices for free, forever. And more for just two devi- do, <clears throat> add more for just two dollars a month per device. Create your free account today at JAMF.com slash Apple Insider. That's jam fcom com slash Apple Insider. Cool. Speaking of a Mac, Mojave was released. Yes. Have you used it? I have uh, since it came out a few days ago. What do you think about it?
0: It's nice. Um, I, I've been using uh, – I tried out the dark mode for a couple days. Um, I decided that uh, – uh, it. I just switched back to the regular mode. I, I, I don't like black backgrounds with white text, but I'm glad it's there. Um, the dynamic wallpaper is cool. Um, having access to HomeKit uh, is pretty cool. Um, having the news app in there, I like, um, I wish that the dynamic wallpaper worked in tandem with dark mode. I think it would be nice to have the wallpaper get darker as the day goes on and then have your window, uh, fringes, uh, align with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy. It's a pretty solid release. Um, I haven't had any issues with it. Uh, I've been using it with the black eGPU. Uh, and a LG Ultrafine 4K display um, and everything seems to work very well, swimmingly, um, I'm very happy. Cool.
1: Now, did you read that there was a zero-day vulnerability in Mac West Mojave? I saw that, yes. So what, what I understand that this thing does is that there's a, a vulnerability that potentially can expose personal user data, uh, at least according to Patrick Wardle of Digital Security. Basically, what it does is it allows an unprivileged app that is an app that doesn't have, you know, root permissions or admin permissions to bypass built-in system level permissions and skim user information from certain applications. Uh, And this isn't the first time that Wordle has uncovered Apple-related security issues. The basically what happened is that, that at WWDC in June, Apple talked about an extended set of macOS security features that require users to provide express permission. They have to explicitly allow to select apps and hardware to to be able to use those things. So they have to authorize access to the camera, to the microphone, to mail history, to messages, Safari, Time Machine, iTunes backups, locations, routine system cookies, and things like that. And basically Wordle was, was able to demonstrate bypassing one of these protections. Um, He failed initially to access and copy contacts through terminal, and then he runs this unprivileged app and then is able to locate and access the address book. And then once he's able to do that, he's able to view all the files in the private folder, metadata, images, things like that. So it's, um, you know, it was found. Apple runs an iOS bug bounty program, but they don't run one for macOS. And this is one of the things that
0: you expect more vulnerabilities on Mac than you would on iOS. So.
1: Well, yeah, because the, the Mac has, uh, is a lot less locked down than iOS is. Right, yeah. So, I mean, they, they should definitely have a Mac bug
0: bounty program. I think that's
1: – But this sort of speaks to a, a longer transition. You know, this is something you and I were talking about before the call where iOS is a lot more locked down. And iOS is used by a ton more people. True? Absolutely. Okay. And so a lot more apps for iOS too. Yeah. So if if iOS is the dominant platform with mm. the with the majority user base, then doesn't it make sense that, that in a way we should just kind of get rid of this older legacy Mac platform and just have iOS become the thing? <laughs> uh well,
0: no. I don't think that that makes sense. I think that <laughs> I think that what does make sense is <clears throat> what you've seen Apple doing and they're going to continue to do is they're going to continue to blur the lines between the two platforms, but I think they're going to remain independent for their own reasons, right? Um one of the concerns I had uh that proved unfounded but you never know until you try something but one of the concerns I had about the iPhone 10 before it came out was replacing the home button and the usability and ease of use of having somebody be able to pick up the device and just use it right um the home button made uh iOS devices accessible in a way that computers previously had not been um I think that it may end up being more of a problem on the iPad than it was on the iPhone um I think that it does require a slight learning curve of swipe your thumb up from the bottom, but it's not really that big of a deal. Think about the modern laptop. You you have a trackpad, you have a keyboard, you have a screen, all that my dad, um, his computer died uh, a few months ago, and I gave him a 2015 MacBook Pro. And the first thing he did—he's never used a Mac before—he plugged in his mouse, and he didn't use the trackpad at all. And then the other day, he was trying to set up something. I was trying to talk him through airplane to his TV, and he was like, "How do I click on this trackpad?" Like he didn't like—he he didn't really understand how to use it. He didn't understand how to scroll. He didn't know the two-finger scrolling and that sort of stuff. So there's like a certain. Uh, curve, but there's a certain understanding as well, right? We sit down with a Mac and even if someone's never used it, they at least know what the trackpad's for. We have, you know, a few generations of computers behind us where they're modernized in a certain way. So the platforms are going to change and they're going to evolve and they're going to be different and they're and they're going to uh, have their strengths and their weaknesses. But I think that there are certain things that make sense on each side to bring over. And so there's a lot of hue and cry about uh, the quartet of so-called marzipan apps that are iOS apps basically just ported pretty vanilla over to Mac. And I'm not going to sit here and defend them and say that they're great. They're not, they're not, it's not like I open them up and I'm like, wow, these are
1: fantastic. Hey, 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 hey. Running home app on Mac today is 10 million times better than it was last month.
0: That's true. It's true. It's better than nothing. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, um, I think it's a little lazy Uh, I think that Apple could have done better, and I certainly hope that once developers have access to these tools to port their iOS apps over to the Mac, that Apple will have improved these apps to set as kind of a standard bearer. You know, I think about when um, Apple was trying to drive up the prices of apps years ago, and they brought the iWork suite to iOS And they were saying, this is how premium apps on an iPad can look. This is the kind of functionality that you can offer that can replace a computer. They were trying to set a standard there and saying, you can have all the features. You can do everything that you can on a Mac or whatever. So. I think that Apple needs to get some of that back, and certainly since this so-called marzipan project isn't coming until next year, uh, there's time to do that. But as it is right now, these are pretty vanilla ports that don't really make them unique Mac apps in any way, and and in many ways limit the functionality. Uh, I'm glad that they're there, though, and I think that if Uh, I think some people are looking at the wrong way. I think that there's an expectation that all apps are going to be lazy. Certainly a lot of apps are going to be lazy. Maybe not – maybe the vast majority of apps will be lazy. Just we don't care about the Mac. We're going to port it over, whatever. But it would be nice to have, right? Um, I I think that, however, there are going to be a certain number of developers who is going to be a gateway drug for them, uh, to use the term. And uh, to – give them a insight into a world that they may never have thought about developing for before. Because now it's like, well, check a few boxes and you get your app on the Mac and the developer goes, yeah, why not? And then they start dabbling around and then they start to learn and then maybe they make some quality Mac apps as well. And it makes it easier for them to build for both platforms. I see... A lot of apps coming to the Mac because of this. A lot of them are going to be lazy, but I think there's going to be some gold ones out there. And I don't think that's any different from the App Store right now. I mean, remember years ago when we had the fart app controversy? Do we really need this kind of junk on the App Store? Well, we're long past that now, and there's a lot of junk on the App Store. Okay. And that's just kind of the nature of it. And But there's also some really great apps on the App Store. Uh, the watch is the same way, you know. Um, I, I, was, uh, I tweeted uh, last week when I got my Apple Watch uh, Series 4 – Uh, Because I was amazed that Nike has this like super close partnership with Apple and they make a Nike edition hardware of the watch and yet new watch launches last Friday, the flagship Nike app for Nike run club does not have compatibility with the new watch. It runs in a smaller window like the old watch. It doesn't have support (laughs) for the complications or anything. And it's like, seriously, if Carrot, which is one of the best third-party apps on any platform, but on the watch is fantastic, on the phone is fantastic. If Carrot can have that ready to go on day one. Nike needs to be ready to have that go on day one. That's an embarrassment for Apple and it's an embarrassment for Nike. I assume that that app's going to be updated before the new Nike edition launches next week, but... Come on, like that that's completely inexcusable. So you're going to have lazy developers on all levels. These things do happen. And to to sit back and say, oh, you know, this is going to be a disaster for the Mac is pretty short-sighted because the Apple Watch is still getting pretty good apps from good developers. You just be able, you need to have some discerning taste and be able to pick and choose.
1: Right. So I'm thinking about it on a much longer timeline. See, I don't think that it's about being lazy bringing thermos from the Mac. I think it's intentional that we, we know that the Mac App Store has been kind of a garbage fire right right and and not in terms of quality of application although there's some of that but in terms of uptake and developers wrestling with the sandboxing and and generally no one wants to use it anymore there right. it's difficult to find the app you really want on the Mac App Store sometimes just because it, the the reward hasn't been there for developers the same way that it has been for the iOS App Store and so this allows them to go ahead and over a longer timeline make the iOS App Store simply the app store right and that if if the development effort keeps going into UIKit and UIKit understands what to do with a mouse and keyboard, then iOS apps using UIKit become just the apps that that the distinction between a Mac app and the iOS app dies off.
0: Well, I mean, think that about
1: when the argument
0: was that the the Mac was inferior to Windows because Windows had all the apps, right? And then we saw a great migration of apps to the cloud, and to the browser. And so now it doesn't really matter because literally any service you want, there are, of course, some specific apps that may limit you or whatever, but it doesn't matter because everything's done through the browser, at least on the desktop. The phone is very different. The phone is app-specific. I happen to like the phone approach better. So I use um, Fluid, which is an app for the Mac that turns a website into an app. So, like for work, um, uh, I have a thing where I have to like put tasks on there through a website called Asana. Asana is like a you know a group team task manager. You can see who's working on what and who's completed what. On the iPhone, it has its own dedicated app, and it's nice. But on the Mac, there is no app for Asana. So I used Fluid, and I made it its own app, put it in the dock, gave it its own icon. And now when I want to use Asana, because I don't want to – I have a million tabs open, and it's it's something that I use frequently, and I don't want to keep opening a tab for it and browsing around or whatever. I just want to have it as an app, and so I click on it there. And so that's an example of something where I would take a subpar – asana port of the ipad version to the mac to have the app there and i can come up with a handful of apps like that where my life would be better having the dedicated uh mac app that doesn't exist right now Uh, mint is another one for my finances Uh, i would much rather just you know have a dedicated app on there uh than have to go to the website that's just something that i use frequently enough and would want to use um so you know they're they're not going to be the best apps, but to your point, you're right. It's longer term. You are looking at taking the biggest and best app platform on the planet has superseded Windows now has superseded everything. Android may have more apps, but they're certainly not as high quality. To put them on the Mac just makes perfect sense. It, it's it, it would it's a no brainer, uh, and and I think that you're going to continue to see the merging of these platforms in that sort of way. The apps are going to work on both. You know, I've been an advocate for a long time of cursor input on iOS. Um, and as I was saying before about putting an iPad and a, uh, and a Mac side by side, you don't even have to have them side by side. Just use your iPad with a keyboard for a while and type and work and get some work done and then go back to your Mac and then see if you touch the screen accidentally. Cause you will. And I realize that Apple has been resistant to doing touchscreen on the Mac and, and I don't blame them. I I don't think it would be necessary, but I think it's one of those things that they should probably just include to just say, okay, we did it. You know, I think that it's probably inevitable at some point, especially if we get a, a, a series chip based, uh, well, you know, twelve or thirteen-inch MacBook, you know, in the next couple of years, it's probably like, okay, yeah, it's got a touchscreen too, but you know, this is not the primary mode of input or whatever. And I think they should say the same for keyboard and trackpad or mouse or whatever for iOS, where it's like, if you really, you know, in the words of Steve Jobs, when the first iPad was announced, if you really want to write War and Peace, here's a keyboard. He's a, here's a keyboard for you. Um, I think that you know if you really want to do these things, if you are the power user that needs these things, or if you're the casual user in the event of you know a touchscreen on the Mac, here we are giving you the option. We're giving you the best of all worlds. I think that that's an inevitability at some point down the road, depending on Apple's resistance and technology and that sort of stuff. But I think that that's the the road that we're heading down and where we're going.
1: Yeah. Now I've mentioned before on this show that Xcode is one of the things that keeps the Mac going. You can only write Xcode applications. You can only write applications for iOS on a Mac. Right. And And that should change. Well, I think it is because Swift Playgrounds has a lot of shared code with Xcode. And if you can do Swift Playgrounds on an iPad, then at some point, you should be able to completely write applications on an iPad. And if you can do that... I don't think that any app that Apple
0: makes for the Mac should not come to the iPad, and I don't think that they should be any less fully featured than they are on the Mac. I think that there should be a Final Cut Pro 10 on the iPad, and I think it should be every bit as good as the one on the Mac.
1: Which, by the way, just got support for eGPUs. Yeah, which is great. So through that piece of news as well. But uh, I, I that's thats what I'm getting at, is I think that that over time, all of these things come to iOS. and. The Mac just remains that form factor that we call a keyboard and trackpad with a screen, but it basically becomes iOS.
0: Uh, You know, so there's a rumor – there was a rumor that the new iPads, which are expected to be announced in October, are going to ditch the Lightning port for USB-C. I don't believe that. I think that it'll probably ship with a Lightning USB-C cable in the box, and maybe the Lightning interface will be upgraded to support USB-C uh, uh data transfer uh, standards uh, so you know much higher quality data transfer and I was thinking about you know what that could lead to and the possibilities of it and one of the things that I thought was really interesting was not only dual screen support for, like, plugging your iPad into your Mac and then just having a nice second monitor very conveniently uh, and, and a portable second monitor that you could bring with you, have a mobile workstation that's super powerful um, in, in a way that, you know, you would currently have to use a third-party app for, like Air Display or whatever, but just to have it native to the platform would be great. But then I was also thinking, like, so there's this rumor of this new iMac, right? So what if you had a headless iMac and the screen was the iPad? And you could just plug in an iPad and make that your monitor for, for – for, not iMac. I'm sorry, Mac Mini uh, for your
1: new Mac Mini. I, I think what I'm, I'm sort of feeling here and I haven't really said it well is I, I think that we, we should have seen iOS and, and iPad make a play for dominance on the desktop by now. And I think it's been held back by oh, it totally has by, been by you know this, this sort of need to preserve the Mac, and of course now the Mac needs the shot in the arm because the Mac App Store is so lousy, and because you know iOS is the dominant of everything, the majority platform. It's uh, it, we we should have seen the iPad make a play for dominance before now, right? It should have been yeah, a Apple, desktop Apple replacement. Apple needs to take the
0: training wheels off the iPad, no doubt. The, the hardware is more than capable. It's. The connectivity and the software that are holding it back. Yeah, yeah, they are. Of course, I, I think that would you know if you could if you could use your iPad as a, as an official Mac display, um, especially with the twelve point nine inch one. Right, that's a that's a great portable monitor that you could bring with you and and get some work done. I you know I, I think that that's a way
1: for them to start bridging that gap. It still feels like training wheels to me. It, it feels like you've taken the the best little portable computer and and turned it into a dumb display.
0: What if it brought
1: touchscreen support to macOS through that? I I feel like they shouldn't they, – they're failing to dream a little bit bigger, bigger. I just want them to have a bigger vision than, than doing that. It's, Do you uh, think it's that not a terrible idea, doing... but it feels like him half steps.
0: Do you think that they'll hold
1: off on doing any of that until there's an A-series Mac? I think so. And I think if I had to be specific, even if there is an A-series Mac, that the first – Operating system that releases on the A series Mac will be transitional. It'll be very much here's the same old thing running on a new chip, and it's after that that everything changes. Because they always do you see do this. an A series
0: Mac running something that looks more like macOS or more like iOS.
1: Um, I whatever the state of macOS is with UI kit and iOS apps from Marzipan at that time, I, I think it's it's still very much this this early hybrid. Because that's what happens, right? You, you do this change. You do this huge platform change and you release the same software on it so that everyone feels comfortable with the change. And then the version after that is where you drop support for the old one and you keep the emulation around for a little bit longer. And the version after that is where you drop the emulation. That's the history. That's what we saw with uh, Rosetta and PowerPC. It's what we saw with Classic OS as well running uh, OS 9 way back in the dark days.
0: Yeah, it's going going to be an odd transition. I don't know how they're going to manage it. Um, It'll be interesting to see what takes precedence and what takes priority in that platform. Is it more Mac? Is it more iOS? I think the trend is towards more Mac, more freedom, um, having more functionality and more expandability than you have currently on iOS, which is pretty locked down. Like I said, I think you need to take the training wheels off the iPad. And I think that if you release a notebook that is more iPad than Mac, I think that's a step backwards.
1: I I agree with that statement only because of the way that we think about what an iPad's capabilities are. We Even when we say release an iP- a laptop that's more iPad than Mac, it, it sort of has that undercurrent of training wheels still on. You know, we, we need to get the training wheels off to the point where when you say iPad versus Mac and you think of both things being incredibly competent.
0: Yeah, I think the iPad has every capability of being just as competent as the Mac, just having its own its own strengths.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that eventually the iPad, the iOS operating system, replaces what a Mac is. We call it a Mac because that's the form factor, but it's it Mac itself changes. Right.
0: Yeah, it's exciting times ahead. I I, I hope that uh, we see more acceleration in that direction because of Marzipan and because of these apps coming there, but. Certainly a lot of room for improvement right now. And if anybody is going to be the standard bearer, it has to be Apple. It does. Let's change gears for a second. Talk to me about Siri. What do you want to? How much do you like Siri? Uh, You know, so one of the things that I like now about um, the Siri shortcuts functionality and and opening to third-party developers more in um, iOS 12 is you can command any possible permutation of, of speaking to Siri that you can think of uh, that will then override the native apps. So I was talking earlier about Carrot and using Carrot Weather. Well, you could make uh, custom commands and shortcuts for every possible question you could think of with the weather and have those go to Carrot instead of uh, of Apple. And it's kind of a roundabout way of just of removing the built-in default apps, which is interesting. <laughs> um, Another thing, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who has a Nest thermostat, and he was saying um, he was trying to use uh, Siri shortcuts to have it control his Nest thermostat and it does it by proxy of if this, then that. And he was saying, yeah, it works, except I can't get it to set a specific temperature. And I said, well, why not try just making specific series shortcuts for each temperature? Because, I mean, think about it, right? You're only going to use like a 10 degree range. Right, right. So I said, just set one for, you know, set the temperature to 70, set one for set the temperature to 71 and so on. And he did, and it works fine. So it's one of those things where it's a little clunky and a little cumbersome, but it takes, you know, maybe 10 minutes of effort, and then you're done, and then you can have it do all that kind of stuff. So I think that we're starting to see, you know, the benefits of series shortcuts and some of the things that you can do um, and in a roundabout way, like setting temperatures that you're not supposed to be able to set or replacing functions that you aren't necessarily supposed to be able to replace. But it works, and I think it's pretty good. So
1: I had a couple of thoughts about this uh, based on the last discussion, where... If iOS takes over macOS, if, if the majority platform eats the, the minority platform here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then AppleScript and Automator go by the wayside and we have Siri shortcuts everywhere. And to make that really take off, they'd have to make it so that Siri shortcuts could really do access to deep links within the apps.
0: I mean, I think, yeah, that has to happen either way. I, most, I would say 99% of Mac users have no idea what Automator is and have never <laughs> used it. No, 99%
1: of the people don't know how to parse Apple script.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my dad didn't even know how to click on the trackpad. So, you know, um, (laughs) so I, I mean, it's not a disaster if automator goes away, but yes, I think Siri shortcuts is a acknowledgement by Apple that they need to bring those kind of pro functions from Mac to iOS and it's a baby step and it's a step in the right direction, but there's obviously a long way to go. Um, jumping through hoops and, and all that kind of stuff to make it work, uh, is not ideal, but much like with having the home app on your Mac, it's like, you can have that or you can have nothing. (laughs) So right now it's like, yeah, I'll take it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that it's there and I'm looking forward to diving into it more and, uh, doing some cool stuff with it.
1: So Siri now has integration with Salesforce's Einstein. And that was announced on uh, Tuesday. A lot of people talked about integration with Salesforce. Not as many people played up the integration with Einstein. So this is this is kind of an interesting thing. So basically Siri acts as the front end for the experience for everything else that happens on the back end. And Mark Benioff, who is the, uh, the CEO of Salesforce, talked about this a little bit in context of Marriott who is a Salesforce customer, and and basically said what's going to happen is that you can have an experience that, as a customer, makes things easier for you, that, that you have your digital key right on your phone when you get into the Marriott, and then you have the ability to talk to Siri and use Siri as room service. So you could just hold up your phone and say, Siri, please order me my favorite sandwich. And because you have your history built up with Marriott, that Siri knows what your favorite sandwich is. Siri acts as the front end for that. Einstein knows the rest and negotiates getting you the sandwich. Einstein is, is this artificial intelligence solution for personalized and predictive customer experiences. And it uses machine learning, deep learning, predictive and analytics, uh, natural language processing, and all of those things. So having Siri as the front end means that everyone has access to Einstein even better.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that. Siri functionality continues to grow. I think that partnering with a major operation like Salesforce is, is pretty cool um, and pretty good. Uh, you know, and and certainly Apple has made strides in the
1: enterprise, uh, mostly because of iOS. We, we've seen a couple of demonstrations of the idea of Alexa being used in hotel rooms for this kind of thing. And, and certainly you can use them to control the lights inside the hotel room. But the um, – and, and, of course, as an integrator, that's a little bit easier because instead of having to use pairing keys and things like you do with iOS, being able to set up an account – the way Amazon does this is you you have an Amazon account and associate the devices with that account. And Amazon auto-discovers them by virtue of them being on the same Wi-Fi network in the area. And so as, as a hotel integrator, it's marginally easier because you don't have to go through the trouble of trying to pair HomeKit devices. Um, but having this with work with Siri means that you don't have to issue people room keys. You don't have to deal with changing room keys. They're on your phone. They're as well as everything else for controlling the uh, the room service and stuff like that. So it's we're sort of sort of in this middleware place where what's going to happen for the future of hospitality is an interesting thing.
0: It's it's actually something that I touched on a little bit in my uh, iPhone XS review. Regarding um, a new function that is kind of a little low key in in the iPhone XS, but I think um, in the next few years could be a big deal. So if you talk to people about ditching their wallet or ditching their keys or ditching a building access card or whatever for their phone, their number one concern, the thing that always comes up, is what happens when my battery dies? Yes, I can't get on the I'm subway. Out of I can't my room. get on the bus. I'm locked out of my room. I can't pay for anything. I can't, and my phone dies all the time. So, so. Apple's actually resolved this with a new low power mode. It's exclusive to the iPhone 10s, 10s Max, and 10R. Um, that is, uh, if your phone is dead, you can have a set access card and a set transit card, and it will use whatever little power is left on the phone to provide the NFC blast to get you on the subway, get you on the bus, get you in your house. Uh, get you in the dorm, whatever. And again, that's a small thing, but I think that's an important thing because this is something that prevents adoption and prevents people from going, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to have my card on my phone. It's not convenient. whatever. And they're bringing down those barriers to adoption. And for access management, I think that's going to be a very big deal. And I think that that brings it to, you know, as you say, hotels and other places as well.
1: All right, so we're we're nearly out of time here. I was going to talk about Apple Pay, but I think you had a more interesting topic that you wanted to talk about, which is the, uh, the Apple Watch Series Four hardware.
0: Yeah, so uh, actually, our uh, review was published uh, by Andrew um, for the Apple Watch, and uh, you know he gave it a glowing review, and and uh, I would have to concur with that. Um, I've been using it for the last week. Um, And I'm, as you know, uh, and anybody listening knows, I've been a big Apple Watch proponent for a long time. Um, And I think this is a really great upgrade. Um, I love the bigger screen with the largely same form factor. Um, I've been using exclusively the very busy, uh, uh, complication-heavy face, Um, and while it is busy, um, I will admit I do like having all the details on the complications there. I like how glanceable it is. I'm um, I'm I'm very happy with the hardware. I think that uh, it's a really impressive uh, device. The, the edge-to-edge screen has uh, rounded corners now, um, which are akin to uh, what the iPhone X looks like. So there's more consistency in design with Apple's other devices. Um, and I would expect that the new iPad is probably going to do the same. So we're going to have that kind of uh, same feel on all the devices. Um, and you know, the hardware is snappy. Um, I've been using it, uh, out running. Um, I use it over cellular. I use it at the gym. I stream music with it to my AirPods. Um, There are (laughs) the aforementioned Nike app does give me some headaches, but the native apps seem to work great and the quality third-party ones work well. You obviously have the watchOS 5 features, podcast support, all that. Um, The EKG functionality, as we said, not there yet, but uh, I'm excited to check that out. Um, The mic and speakers are much improved. I've taken some calls on it. It's good. Uh, They changed the side button so that it's now flush with the case, um, but it still operates the same, which I like. There's a, um, a uh, when you scroll with the uh, uh, the uh, digital crown, digital crown, there's a um, haptic feedback that you feel. I'm not sure how I feel about the haptic feedback. It's it doesn't feel like it syncs up perfectly with what's on the screen. Sometimes you know, sometimes it feels like it's clicking too much. Sometimes it feels like it's clicking too little. It's a little too soft. So, um, I'm hoping that future software updates will improve that, but it does work well and it is nice and it feels smooth. I'm guessing there's a setting to turn off that haptic feedback, but I haven't actually dug into that yet. Um, and I haven't fallen, so it hasn't given me any alerts on that yet, which is good. Fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully none of that. I was curious though, because I just, uh, joined and started playing in a, um, a, uh, ice hockey league, uh, <clears throat> in, uh, New York and, um, I've looked and it turns out there is like a, a fitness tracking app for playing hockey. And it like knows like when you're on the bench versus like when you're out on the ice and it'll like track in resting time a lot. But it just seems like a really great way to get your $500 investment broken. So I Googled and there were people on Reddit and there were people on Reddit they're saying, no, it fits perfectly under my glove. It's perfectly fine. And I'm like hemming and hawing and going back and forth. It's like, ah, I don't know. Should I, should I, I don't know. This seems like a terrible idea. So I'm like kind of tempted to do it, but I just know I'm going to end up with a shattered $500 watt. But uh, I think my main knock on the watch, aside from uh, very much the same problem that I have with the iPad in that you know I feel like the watch should be its own platform and and should have its own uh, – I shouldn't need to set it up with a phone. It should connect to a Mac on its own. It should connect to an iPad. So it should be its own more independent platform, as I've said before, and hopefully we'll get there eventually. But I think my main problem really is the cost – Um, It's gone up by a bit this year. So I think the cellular was $430 last year. Now it's $500 this year. Um, And also Apple used to let you basically mix and match and put any band you want with the watch. Uh, But now you basically get your choice of the sport loop or the regular sport. And... uh, you know, if you already have those bands, it's like, well, I want to get a new band with my watch. So I, th- I wish that they had more choice when it came to the bands. And the price at 500 with cellular is a little steep. Uh, but all in all, super happy with the hardware. Um, it's fast. Uh, it's responsive. It works well. Uh, the cellular is reliable. Uh, the Bluetooth connection is reliable. Um, using with headphones, great. All the health tracking, all that
1: kind of stuff. Super happy with the Series 4. Definitely recommend it if you're on the market for the new watch. Absolutely. So, Neil, if I'd had to take away from this episode, I would say that your opinion is that all these platforms need to grow up and be their own things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the, why can't I sync my health data from my I, from my watch to my Mac? Why does it have to be on my iPhone? Right? It, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, the, 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 you know, battery savings, if you use the watch on cellular, it dies, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But if you connect the watch to Wi-Fi as you do at home, it doesn't even need your phone, it just connects directly to the Wi-Fi on its own, it's not using cellular. So the battery considerations are only applicable when you're out of the house. And I think for the majority of people, they're gonna be at work, they're gonna be at home, it's gonna be connected to Wi-Fi, whatever. They don't necessarily need to have it connected to their phone, they could, and presumably most of them will most of the time. But you know, why can't I sit down and view my health data on my Mac Why can't I go into the doctor's office and then say, share this data with my doctor and then they can pull it up on their iPad? You know, like the the platform should be able to work in tandem with each other, but also independently. And that's what I think the future of the Mac is as well, is playing nice with the iPhone, all these great continuity features, the ability to run the iPhone or iPad apps, the iOS apps, and, but also to be its own thing, to be the device where you sit down and you get work done. Excellent.
1: Well, we've run out of time. This is another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Neil Fantastic Hughes.
0: (laughs) Very fantastic.
1: Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Very stretchy. There you go. Well, it's not a stretch, but we have an ad read. Jamf Now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your Apple devices so you can focus on your business. No IT experience needed. With Jamf Now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device as needed from anywhere. And now Apple Insider podcast listeners can start securing your business today by setting up your first three devices for free forever. Add more for just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com slash Apple Insider. That's jamf.com slash Apple Insider. Like I said, this brings us to the end of another perfectly good episode of the Apple Insider podcast. Neil, where can people find you on the Internet?
0: Perfectly good episode. I like it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this Is Neil, and you can read my occasional musings, including the iPhone XS review on AppleInsider.com.
1: And I'm your presenter, Victor, and you can find me at VMarks on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you being there with us. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers.